0: Welcome everyone to another episode of the Dine Sports podcast on the Dine Sports podcast network. Today we've got two great guests coming your way. Up first, you may recognize him from his work with Sports Illustrated or as an author. He's got tons of books out there. We've got the one and only John Wertheim, who is going to be talking about his new book Glory Days, which is available everywhere now. Then we've got our friend Matt from Talkhan Audio stopping by to talk all things Toronto Maple Leafs and give him a little bit of time to grieve Over the last season that was but uh, obviously some long hard looks in the mirror that the Leafs have to take in this offseason it's going to be some crucial moves coming up whether it's re-signing players choosing not to re-sign players some trades what do they do with Marner and all the hate that he got from fans online and more so we cover all of that from a Leafs perspective interesting to see what he's got to say but jam-packed episode. So let's get right into it. Up first from Sports Illustrated, the one and only John Wertheim. Joining us today on the podcast, we've got one of the most recognized sports journalists in America. He's the executive director of Sports Illustrated and a senior writer, Mr. John Wertheim. John, how are you doing tonight, sir?
1: good how are you
0: doing doing well doing well so we obviously brought you on to talk about your new book which is out everywhere now it's doing extremely well but before we get into that you're also in the process of doing some broadcast work for Wimbledon as well and fairly eventful 24 hours over uh, across the pond there wouldn't you say
1: Uh, yeah, I'm not sure, uh, you know, in in some ways it's a very happy occasion. There was no Wimbledon last year. So, uh, you know, it's been a while. It's nice to have, uh, this event back, but, um, I'm I'm not sure the, the, the injury exit of Serena Williams and the rain and yeah, it's, it's been a chaotic, uh, chaotic few days and, uh, we've, we've still got 12 more to go.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, injuries in both Serena's match and Federer's matches as well, too. Like, were these two just sort of freak accidents, or are there some terrain issues going on over at Wimbledon? Or, like, what's your sense on how those two things played out?
1: That is a great question, because, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people are asking that. I mean, you know, the, the first few days of this tournament, we forget. It's it's grass, it's slippery. Uh, these courts get kind of chewed up. I mean, they don't look uh at the end of the tournament they don't look like they do right now that pristine grass and you're making sudden movements and remember uh there was no grass events last year so maybe players are a bit out of practice in terms of the nuances of the surface at the same time it it is a little troubling that you have two straight matches in a row that end prematurely with with injuries because of players slipping so uh it's going to be interesting to see if there's some sort of you know, internal uh, internal report or if there's some sort of statement by the club. There has not been of yet. I think right now it's kind of, you know, grass is inherently slippery, but I, I do think, um, you know, it's, sometimes it's correlation and sometimes it's uh, causation. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how the tournament responds to this because it's not, uh, you know, not, not the headlines they want
0: no absolutely not anytime you're losing star power like that to injury it's not a not a great uh, start to the tournament but moving on to happier discussions here let's talk about your new book it's called glory days the summer of 1984 and the 90 days that changed sports and culture forever like we said it's out available everywhere now doing very very well but When you were coming up for ideas for this book, like it's sort of the chicken or the egg question there. Like, did you start with the idea that, hey, 1984 was a really unique period of time. Let's sort of find a narrative and piece together a book that way. Or did you maybe start with the idea that I'm looking for a really cool period of time uh, that was blend sports culture, all of that together. Let's start looking through the years and you just happen to ultimately settle on 1984
1: uh that's that 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 is a great question I see the origin story with the book is that um when I was 13 in 1984 you know Michael Jordan was in my town preparing for the uh and auditioning training for the Olympic team the U.S. Olympic basketball team and it didn't seem like a big deal but you would see Michael Jordan around town and he was kind of a a bored guy marooned in this, this strange college town and uh, you'd see him at mini golf. And you'd see him at the movies. And you'd see him at the mall. And I, I wrote about that experience. And so, someone suggested doing a book on the 1984 U.S. Olympic team. And I said, I don't, I don't think there's, there's quite enough to sustain a book. But then I started poking around on everything else that was going on this summer. And I, I was just blown away. And, you know, I mean, I, I told someone, I said, you know, every, every summer there's, there's a hit song. There's a hit movie. Every summer, there's a new Wimbledon champion. There's a new NBA final champion, Stanley cup champion, but the number of stories and moments and figures that arose from this summer that are still relevant today. I, I think it's just, this this amazing sort of density, this amazing concentration. And then, um, I was convinced you could sort of tell a story about this summer using all these coincidences, all these significant events, and then trying to sort of figure out was it it just coincidence or was there a reason behind it?
0: Like you just said, you were 13 when all of this happened in 1984 in your hometown in Indiana and Bob Knight, the USA Olympic team, Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, all these guys just sort of milling about town. So obviously this is a very vivid memory that you've got ingrained into your sort of sports brain. Now that you're a little bit older though and you've experienced some other fairly unique and very cool sports moments both in person or you know covering an event or something like that. Does it still sort of stick out as that 13-year-old moment in Bloomington, Indiana is the peak of your sports memories, or has one or two events maybe dethroned that that you've got to experience over your years?
1: Oh, man, uh, that, that's a good question. I, I, I mean, I think the difference is, you know, 1984 was was a personal memory. I was a teenager. I was sort of in awe. It was sort of a happy surprised that these guys were in my town I feel like most of my sports memories subsequent are professional where mm-hmm. you know I've, I've been lucky enough to be at Super Bowls and better Nadal Wimbledon's and Olympics but it's different when you've got a, a notepad in your hand I mm-hmm. mean it's, it's a different experience when you're there for for work and you're thinking about deadlines you're thinking about stories and access and editors back home uh there, there was such a purity to this I mean this was just pure sort of fan awe and um i've always i always marvel i mean people sort of joke in sports about how quickly you know you lose your rooting interest and how quickly you know it becomes a job and people say oh you're so lucky you get to go to a baseball game and you sort of say yeah but it's my office i think there's really some truth to that i mean it's not a question of sort of more enjoyment or less but it's just such a way it's such a different way to experience sports when you're just there in the sunshine and you're you know out there rooting and staring at the grass versus you've got deadlines you know breathing down your uh, breathing down your neck and you've got some sort of the hot, hot breath of editors asking what you're going to be writing about or you've got live tv it's just such a different way to consume sports
0: yeah and I'm sure nostalgia is a huge factor in that as well too looking back on your childhood there obviously some fond memories but You know, 1984, USA Olympic team, that probably came to mind for obvious reasons pretty quickly. But when you were starting to piece together, okay, what are my 12 to 15 storylines that I'm going to try and express in this book? Like, I'm curious, outside of that, that you actually live, what were the first three things that from 1984 that just quickly popped into your mind that ultimately made the book as well? I guess
1: that's a good question. Let me see. I mean, you know, the... the, um... I sort of had the happy accident of running into David Stern, who explained to me that this was his first, you know, he was a few weeks on the job. He was uh, the new commissioner of the NBA. His job was to electrify, to energize the basketball league. And his very first final was the first final between the Lakers and the Celtics, Bird and Magic, and then presiding over the draft of Michael Jordan. So, So in the span of a few days in June, the NBA completely transformed itself. Um, I I didn't realize the extent to which Donald Trump had used sports as part of his whole sort of myth-making and and image creation, and that all happened in the summer of 1984. He becomes owner of this football team, and it really is what vaults him to to a national figure. Um, And then I I guess I'd say the 84 Olympics in Los Angeles that I had some recollections of, but the more I dug in, the more I realized how those completely you know, reshape the Olympic, you know, here, here we are 37 years later and we're going to have an Olympics held amid a pandemic, not because of Canadian athletes and American athletes and Simone Biles, but because there's just too much business at stake. And I think that uh, the the origins of that trace to 1984, I mean, there there were a lot of sort of fun stories and happy coincidences and, and little events that turned into big events that I stumbled upon. But I would say, i'd say the nba trump and the 84 olympics were probably three big tent poles
0: for sure and now that the book has been out there for a while as well too and you've had a chance to you know read some reviews and even maybe interact with some fans that have read the book as well is there one particular chapter that most people will point to and say like oh i remember where i was when that happened or like does one stick out more than the rest
1: I think a lot of people had. That's a good question too. I I, I hadn't been out, I mean, I think a lot of people have uh, a real fondness for the '84 Olympics for for a variety of reasons. One of them was, uh, you know, you, you had the sort of McDonald's giveaway and everybody got to eat free food. It was in the you know, the height of the Cold War and the Soviets weren't there, so at least in the U.S. it had these real echoes of sort of Ronald Reagan '80s. Patriotism, almost almost jingoism. I and mean, a lot of people remember those Olympics for, uh, you know, the, the U.S. dominating the medal count, which meant they got free Big Macs. The evil Soviets weren't there. No, nothing bad happened. You know, there there was no terror attack the way there was in '72. There was no bomb the way there was in '96. I mean, it was just sort of a nice, clean, um, successful Olympics. I think a lot of people have uh, memories of that tied to you know, t- tied to the Karate Kid, tied to Michael Jordan. It was the first time they really discovered how good Michael Jordan was. I mean, sometimes it was the Olympics, but sometimes it was more sort of a representation in the Olympics. Um, mm-hmm. They watched the Olympics, uh, you know, with their new Mac computer next to the TV. I mean, sometimes it was... And nostalgia, I realize, is kind of a funny thing, that it triggers, like, a swirl of memories, almost like a whole palette, and not not just a single memory sometimes. But I think I think 84 sort of summoned music and that was the summer I fell in love with Bruce Springsteen I mean it it seems like uh, the 84 Olympics was sort of a trigger for more than just an international sporting competition
0: yeah no it absolutely was a catalyst for a lot of things and you know, you bring up in your book as well, too, like, there's almost a ripple effect of things that happened that year that are still being felt all the way now in 2021. And, you know, some of them are for the better, some of them maybe not so great that occurred. And, you know, if you had a time machine, though, and you could go back and maybe undo one of those sort of ripple effects or butterfly effects, or whatever you want to call it there, so that today, we aren't faced with sort of the situation that we are in whatever sports league or the monetization of you know amateur sports or whatever is There' one thing that if you had to do over that you could go back and be like mm, this maybe wasn't such a great thing 30 40 years down the line like is there one thing that sticks out to you in that regard
1: well i mean the uh the, I, I guess an obvious answer is the summer of 84 was one of the, the perhaps the first what we call a mass shooting in the u.s
0: um
1: there, there was a mcdonald's in southern california and a shooter went in and uh, to give, give you an idea, the then versus now, pe- people thought they were filming a movie. I mean, people didn't duck because it was just such a strange concept that somebody would go into a public place with a gun and start shooting. No, no one knew what was going on. Um, you know, that, uh, to me, sadly, that wouldn't happen. I, I'll give you an interesting one. There was a Supreme Court case in 1984. Um, where colleges challenged the NCAA and sort of the the anti-competitive practices. They said, we we want to to negotiate our own TV deals. We shouldn't have to go through the NCAA. Mm -hmm. And the Supreme Court essentially said, you're right, this is a cartel. Uh, But there was one line in the opinion, ironically an opinion that was unfavorable to the NCAA, there was one line that said amateurism is essentially the core of uh, college sports and must be protected. And even though this decision, the Supreme Court was very unfavorable to to the NCAA, the NCAA seized on that one single sentence and used it to justify,
0: you know, essentially
1: suppressing wages and uh, acting like a monopoly and and this sort of antitrust exemption. That ended last week with the Supreme Court again weighing in on on the NCAA and its Anti-competitive practices, but but for 37 years, this one single sentence buried in a Supreme Court decision essentially enabled uh, college sports not to pay their athletes again for nearly four decades.
0: Yeah, absolutely wild to think that you know it took almost 40 years for that to come full circle, and what started with the Supreme Court ended up ending in the Supreme Court as well, too. You know, was there an event or moment that ultimately got cut from the book that? stood out to you and didn't make the final version but if you could have done an extended version there would have been that one extra chapter that it would have fit in
1: um i I wanted to write about the uh the the san diego padres the baseball team that won the pennant in the national league that summer in in 84 um i I ended up writing a lot about the chicago cubs in part because it was the team close to me and then it was sort of fun but the san diego padres that season, uh, there was a successful team, but they had a very divided clubhouse, and they had one player, um, Alan Wiggins, who was you know, end up being HIV positive, and uh, they had this sort of far-right contingent within the clubhouse, and I thought it was interesting the way p- politics had not just impacted sports, which obviously happened before 1984, but how the political leanings of players seeped into a uh, clubhouse. Now that's something that you know ha- happens quite frequently, and, and you hear about the... Uh, you know, play, players who are traded because they don't fit in the culture, or, you know, players who, you know, whether it's pro Trump or anti Trump, or whether it's, you know, I, I want to get vaccinated, I don't want to get vaccinated. I mean, now I think it's fairly common, but this was an early example I thought of how political leanings really express themselves in a, in a pro sports clubhouse. I, I'm not sure there were many examples of that before the San Diego Padres team in 84.
0: Now, if your editors came to you and said, hey, listen, this, this book is selling like hotcakes here, we need you to do one on either the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, whatever, but something after 1984, like, is there a, a runner-up year that you almost considered doing or anything that's a little bit more recent that sticks out to you as a really interesting sports year that probably could have its own standalone volume like that?
1: Oh, man. Um... Whoa. If you want,
0: I've got, a cu- I've got a couple here that I can throw your way there to maybe get the juice. Yeah, no, flowing here.
1: here. But I'll, I'll give you my two obvious ones and then tell, I'm curious what you have. I mean, the obvious one to me is, is 1994 when you had, I mean, there was a 30 for 30 on it. You had, the you know, the, the Rangers and the Knicks and the OJ Chase and the World Cup. Um, you know, there was a 30 Lake for 30 Bear documentary. Strike,
0: Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding. Yeah, that was on my list that I was uh, going to throw to you for sure. So we're on the same wavelength there.
1: Man, I mean, I think the thing that made 1984 that I didn't realize going in, but that became really apparent to me was cable and this uh, this coming thundering force of cable that, you know, enabled ESPN to thrive and enabled WWE to gobble up all the regional promotions. I wonder if there's something similar. I'm just thinking out loud here. I mean, I wonder if there's one summer when we realized that the internet was not a fad and that websites or message boards or even you know the streaming i wonder if there's one summer when we realized that uh, the internet was going to transform but but i'm curious what do do you have
0: yeah sure if you ever followed the rabbit hole down of you know napster and itunes and all of that uh, that would probably be sort of the birth of oh okay we can monetize this maybe it's not the evil empire you know pirate everything that we thought it was but you already got the one so 94 obviously was one Uh, For the 2000s, I had 2003, so you've got the loaded NBA draft class, LeBron, Carmelo, all of them coming in and changing the NBA for years. You know, Marlins upset the Yankees in the World Series. Uh, Andy Roddick winning the U.S. Open. Federer gets his first Wimbledon. Here in Canada, gotta plug our Canadian boy, Mike Weir, wins the Masters, Women's World Cup. And then the big one that kind of ended a dynasty there was the Kobe Bryant sexual assault scandal, which imploded the Lakers and then Shaq gets traded, yada, yada, yada. And then for the 2010s, I had 2016. So you got the Olympics, Cubs finally end their World Series drought. Uh, Leicester City wins the Premier League in shocking fashion. 73 win Warriors, the Cavs somehow end up beating them. Obviously the Kevin Durant decision, all of that. And then Kaepernick taking a knee in the whole scandal that then went on from there but uh th- those were sort of the ones that stood out to me as far as some more modern examples so m- p- maybe some potential ideas if you get asked to write a sequel there
1: <laughs> i like that i like 2003 a lot um and, Co- and kobe i think happened in the summer as well even though that's, all right very good i'm uh that's fantastic m- manny ramirez maybe that's that's really good
0: yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll take a little footnote in feel your sequel funny. if you, you know, pitched to you on the Dine Sports podcast there back in 2021. So feel free to use that if you want. Before we let you go, because I know you're a busy guy here. Let's maybe just full circle back to Wimbledon. Let, let's get maybe a prediction out of you here. Obviously, Serena just went out due to injury. So she's out of the running. But maybe just a prediction for who you think might win it all on the men's side, who might win on the women's side, and maybe just a dark horse on either to just keep an eye on who might be exciting to watch.
1: Uh, well, I think Djokovic is the, the overwhelming uh, favorite on the men's side. And I think some of that is how good he is. And some of that is just sort of the absence of alternatives. I mean, you know, be- better look like a 39 year old man for much of today's match and Nadal's not playing and, who made the French open final uh, barely two weeks ago, he's already out of the tournament. Um, so I think, I think Djokovic is uh, in, in a pretty good place. Um, I mean, I think, honestly, I think, I, I think Felix OJ, has seen, the, the young Canadian, I think he's, you know, he, he's, he hasn't won a title yet. I mean, of any size. He, so he hasn't won a tournament yet. So it mm-hmm. might be a little premature at Wimbledon, but but I think he's ready for an ascent. I think he has a pretty good draw. Um that might be a player to watch, and then on the women's side, I don't know. I mean, I, I picked the number two seed, uh, Sabalenka, but um, you know, at the at the French Open, barely two weeks ago, you you had a player win who wasn't among the top thirty-two seeds. So uh, it's it's kind of it's kind of two very you know, you wish the men had a little more predictability, and you maybe miss, wish the women had a little less.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Well, John, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us today. The book is Glory Days, the summer of 1984 and the 90 days that changed sports and culture forever. It's available everywhere you get books, whether it's a physical store or hop on Amazon or whatever. Give it a read today. Best of luck with the rest of your Wimbledon coverage, my friend.
1: You've got it. That was fun. Those were great questions. Thanks.
0: All right, before we get to Matt's interview, wanted to quickly tell you guys a little bit about our friends over at MyBookie. MyBookie.ag is your place to place any online wagers. Make sure when you go there, take advantage of the first deposit bonuses, all sorts of ones to choose from, whether you like the sports book, online casino, or more. They've got a little bit of everything for everyone. When you do sign up, though, make sure you use the promo code DYNESPORTS, D-Y-N-E-S, sports with an S at the end of it. There is no space in between so that they know who sent you. And if you just heard our last segment there, our good friend John, gave you a little bit of insight on who might be winning Wimbledon maybe place a little futures bet on that I personally don't know enough about tennis so I'm steering away from that I probably would have just placed it on Djokovic but I looked up his odds not the greatest right now because he is such a heavy favorite so I'm going to steer clear instead tonight I am going to be wagering on the Montreal Canadiens Tampa Bay Lightning Series and I'm going to go with the Phoenix Suns LA Clippers so I'm going to take a Suns to win Moneyline, and I'm gonna take a Tampa Bay Lightning to win Moneyline. So I think the Suns close out that series, punch their ticket to the NBA Finals. Chris Paul finally gets there. And I think the Lightning go up two zip, heading back to Montreal. So I'm gonna log on there. I'm gonna make sure I use my promo code Sports, place that wager, follow along with me if you want, or place whatever the heck it is that you would like to do there as well too, because right now we're on a bit of a cold streak. So hopefully this is where it all turns around for us tonight must be 18 or older, problem gambling, make sure to check out all of their online resources, Gamblers Anonymous. Only gamble what you are willing to lose. Please gamble responsibly. And now let's get to our interview with Matt from Talcan Audio. All right, joining us today for a segment, we've got Matt from Talcan Audio Podcast. Matt, how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing
2: all right, but I got to ask you, who backed out like you're you're kind of digging at the bottom of the <laughs> barrel here to get to me who was supposed to be here today
0: oh well you know we, we were trying to get bettman on to talk about the blackhawk scandal but he was uh, unavailable so we we went with the number two on our list and and lo and behold there you were but uh, appreciate
2: it yeah
0: yeah no we, we're happy to have you on like we, we've been wanting to have you on the show for a little while now but we're gonna talk some hockey and you as a leafs fan we want to at least give you the appropriate amount of time to digest Another first round, you know, loss and all of that. My grieving so, process. Exactly. You don't want to approach you too soon there. So, yeah. you know, just from a fan perspective, looking at 2021 in its entirety, like what did you sort of take away from this season in Maple Leafs land?
2: Yeah, it's funny for the sake of your listeners there. When you approached me, you said, um, you know, you, like, you seem to like to rant about the Leafs and Jays. And for a second, I was like, I think I'm supposed to be offended by that. And then I... <laughs> Actually, that's pretty on the nose. Yeah, there are some rants from time to time. Honestly, it's this is one of those seasons. This is maybe the hardest season that I've ever tried to to break down. I I thought the team was largely built okay. There were there were some moves, you know, throughout the year that I, were a little questionable. But how do you argue with the results that they had through the regular season? And then you find yourself at the end of the first round in the same position you've been in each of the last what is it now four years i guess it's just um, out
0: day over and over again for right
2: day. but when i look back at it i'm like
0: mm,
2: if Tavares doesn't get hurt if and i understand this is the part where i sound like i'm making excuses and stuff and don't worry i, I won't do this the entire time <laughs> I, I i'm happy to bash the team just as much as anybody else right now but if Tavares doesn't get hurt if if one of those pucks goes in in five or six in overtime um, game seven, I have no defense for it. it. was terrible. Uh, I just, I still, to this day, as we get ready, you know, at time of recording to watch Montreal play for the cup, I still think Toronto was the better team and they, they didn't win. So I'm frustrated that I don't have a, a scapegoat or somebody I can easily yell at to be like, well, if Kadri, Kadri did this to us or, <laughs> or Freddie Anderson, if he doesn't play, if he plays better Jake Gardner, if he, uh, I look at this team and kind of go it should have beat montreal should have got to the final like montreal did i don't know about that but it should have be montreal so this has been frustrating this has been a hard one to to diagnose and to break down you're just sort of like sometimes stuff happens right i i I don't know you don't get to say stuff happens since 1967, <laughs> <laughs> at some point, it's somebody's fault, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and, and I don't think you're alone in the thought of, you know, hey, Winnipeg probably also thinks that we probably had a better team on yeah than Montreal. Las Vegas probably Vegas first, sure yes. <laughs> so it, it's definitely a weird year, and I mean, when when they beat Toronto to win in the manner that they did, yeah, you can sort of write it off as, yeah, they got hot and they rode that mm-hmm. way they went, but that, you can't stay hot for three full series now, all right. the way into the So at a certain point, it's like I I, I don't know it's the greatest game of possum I've ever seen a (laughs) little rope-a-dope going on Uh, apparently because like this is a team that was barely 500 in the regular season and you know the lowly Ottawa Senators are (laughs) beating up on them almost every time they're playing them yeah and and here they are in the cup final so I I don't understand that
2: do you agree that if this is a full 82 game season Ottawa probably passes Montreal by the time this is all said and done
0: yeah. Like uh, I genuinely I think I do too. I think I do. I, I I don't even know if it would just be Ottawa that would pass them either. Like, right? I, I think you could, Well,
2: the wheels face. completely came off in Calgary. I don't know yeah, what happened there.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, if not for the, the whole bout of illnesses that yeah. ravaged the Canucks and who knows what goes on there, but that was another really weird one where you go from playoffs last year to the dumpster fire that was yeah. in Vancouver this year. So I don't know, but, I mean, if you look at it in the grand scheme of things, though, because there are two very drastic differences in how they bowed out, right? If you look yeah. at it this year, it, it was like a slow motion car crash, right? You're up three <laughs> to one, and just slowly you see it slipping yeah. through your fingers. Right? There's a, there's that uh, there's that episode
2: where Bart buys a warehouse downtown, and <laughs> uh, and he leaves Millhouse as the night watchman, and yeah. he's like Millhouse, what happened? You were supposed to watch the place. Goes, I did watch it first. It started to fall over. Then I fell over. That's yeah. pretty much what happened to the Leafs in the playoffs.
0: Exactly. and i see it
2: coming. Yeah,
0: the opposite end of the spectrum, though, is 2013 against the Bruins. And yeah. you, you think you're already through. And then it just <laughs> rips your heart right out of your chest. So, like, w- which one, though? I'm genuinely curious. I'm not just trying to, you know, stick it to you as a fan. Like, which one would you almost prefer, though? Like, the Band-Aid of Game 7, that collapse? Or the slow motion, uh, well, there it goes, type thing? Oh, my God. Um, Sophie's choice here for you. Yeah, seriously.
2: I think in the moment that 2013 happened, it was devastating, right? It really was because that game should have been over. But at the same time, I'm able to rationalize it with like, that was a bad Leafs team. They shouldn't have been there. It's a miracle they got that far. And it crushed me that they lost. It really did. But I'm at you know after a couple of days after a couple of weeks you're like that's what was supposed to happen right like we were supposed to be- this one while there's no like singular one moment I guess if you really wanted to you could talk about the Galchenyuk pass in 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 overtime at Game Five where you start to go hmm. I wonder if we're about to see some things. Has
0: um, just been a sleeper agent this whole time. It's the <laughs> longest exactly. play ever by Bergevin and the boys. Like, yeah, that would maybe be like.
2: There's, there's really, it's hard to pin down one moment where you're like, oh no, like we're done here, or like one seminal. But like I said earlier, that to me, Toronto was the better team. They should have got that done even without Tavares. So. I think this one is more painful. As I said to you, kind of off the top, this one is more confusing for sure. I don't really know how we got here, but yeah, I think, I think I'm think i more comfortable with the 2013 one, despite the fact that it's the more dramatic, explosive, you know, the one everyone loves to pin on you. It was 4-1. I, I think I'm okay with that one. I think I can live with that one because you shouldn't have been there anyway. I think this is a missed opportunity, especially seeing how, winnipeg played in the second round i think toronto this this one will hurt much longer because you should have probably cakewalked your way to vegas and then if you would told me toronto was going to play vegas in the third round i'd have picked vegas but at least you'd have said you know you did what you're supposed to do this season and, and to have it end the way it did yeah, i think this one's the harder one
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, as an Ottawa based sports podcast, I I could ask another 30 or 35 questions just about (laughs) Leafs fans pains like uh, the the, the tears sometimes sustain us here in Ottawa, but I mean, we we don't want to (laughs) get I'm familiar.
2: I'm there in Ottawa, too. Like, (laughs) so I'm familiar with the phenomenon of you people enjoying my pain,
0: the joy that we get out of the misfortune of others, but for sure. Like, we we don't want to give any of our uh, listeners in the GTA any PTSD from just (laughs) reading this uh, over and over again. So let's just maybe even move to talking about the future of the Leafs and and sort of how they move forward from this. Because if you take just even a top-down view at this Leafs roster and how it's been constructed, like – Do you get the sense that this is still a team on the rise and they're only going to keep getting better and closer and closer and finally, you know, break through and advance through the playoffs? Or do you see it sort of the opposite lens of – this was a real missed opportunity, and the window to compete is still wide open because at the end of the mm-hmm. day, we're not talking about a 30-year-old Matthews and Marner and all right. that. They're still young, but this was a missed opportunity, and maybe that window, at least with this core as it is, is starting to slowly close a little bit before bigger changes are in order.
2: Yeah, I think from my perspective, it might be, and I understand this is truly the cop-out answer, can it be a little of both? Like every year, when you have a young group like this, especially with what you're paying them, every time you don't get it done, you you're you've lost another opportunity to get it done, right? You you don't have this group forever, and Tavares especially, despite the fact that he goes down in game one, he's a few years older than the rest of them, right? At some point, he will start to slow down. So every year you don't get it done, it's absolutely a missed opportunity, and this is the clearest opportunity they were ever going to have to to kind of at least get themselves to the third round but I don't think the window is necessarily closing as as you kind of pointed out there that that it probably isn't because they're young enough but I don't know necessarily what to expect I was surprised in in the the press conference 48 hours after the season ended where Dubas so emphatically said no we're sticking with this like we're still doing the big four and I wholeheartedly supported him when he did the big four thing, I loved the we can and we will, right, in terms of signing them. But the world's changed a little bit, right? The, he was banking on the cap going up and up and up. And, and I guess you can blame him for, you know, that was never guaranteed to him. That was never a promise. But none of us saw a global pandemic coming and how that might impact the NHL salary cap. So he has to wear that a little bit but I was surprised 48 hours after the season for him to come out and go, no, we're bringing the big four back. I think you had some time there to say, we're going to look at everything, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe this group of four eating up this much of the cap, knowing that the cap is now going to stay where it is for at least a couple more years. And I saw Friedman not too long ago, say up to five years, right? That's a huge blow for the Leafs who were obviously, you know, maybe the Tavares contract ages a little better if the cap is going up and up and up. So I think it's a missed opportunity. Absolutely. What I would suggest to you in terms of where this is going to go next year, if I was Kyle and my job was on the line, and I do think his job is on the line next year, right? He, this, he had a bunch of years there of clearing out bad contracts and and some things that Lou did that weren't super uh, (laughs) it's his team. Now it's his coach. Now it's, this is what it's supposed to be for him. I believe though, MLSE and the board will not allow this to continue on indefinitely. If I'm him and I know my job's on the line this year, I'm going back to what I believe in. I'm not doing the Wayne Simmons thing again. I'm not doing actually Zach Bogosian turned out to be better than I thought he would for Trump, but you know what I'm saying? Like he yeah. clearly has a vibe of fast skilled, you know, coursey hockey, right? Possession, all these sorts of things. He doesn't want to do, like I said, Jimmy VC or, you know, some of these older vets that got brought in. Ben Probably, want,
0: probably would like a do over on the Felino trade. Uh, yeah, sure. Here, but, like, but... that's a really good example. I said, when
2: they made that trade, I don't mind that player, but I wouldn't pay that for him. Right. Mm-hmm. I, like they paid too much. And I think if you go two or three rounds and he's contributing, you're like, all right, like you can live with it. I still wouldn't have loved it, but you can live with it. When he gets injured, and then is barely able to skate and then you go out in the first round that it looks even worse right so that's a gamble he took and he lost right so he's responsible for that but I think I guess just to kind of round out what I was trying to say there is I think next season you will see more of the Kapanen type and the Dennis Malgan types even and that those sorts of Tyler Ennis types right that he believes that's the way you do this. I, I don't think he wants to do any more. Uh, maybe Kelce again, right? You bring him back on a cheap skilled car. Co- that's what he wants to do. He wants to go skill, 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 skill. And if you're going to fire me, if this doesn't work at the end of the year, then I'm going to do it my way. And it probably won't include Wayne Simmons and, and those types of players. I think you see him push hard back to what he wants to do, knowing if I'm going down, I'll go down with my philosophy.
0: Like you said, he had a first few couple of years when he was getting going where it was just taking out some of the garbage and putting out fires that the previous yeah. regime had left him to inherit. But- yeah. I mean, his fingerprints are all over this Leafs team now, and yep. I think he got a little bit away, as you were alluding to, of what his true philosophy and sort of got him hired in the first place to take over the Leafs really was, because he started bringing in some of those more grizzled veterans, oh, we're going to teach the young kids how to win in the postseason, and, da, 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 and ended up with the exact same result at the end of the day, right? So. Yep. Obviously, the players are buying into it, right? You've got Spezzos coming back. You've got Ryan. Yeah, how I know you guys have a thing for former Senators players, there, right? Like even <laughs> even the throw in in that uh, Felino deal was a former Sen's draft pick, there, and Stefan Nosen. So, I mean, oh really? I didn't even know that. Okay, <laughs> well, man, good, good old uh, Kyle Dubas might have a might have a thing for uh, his friends down the four hundred one, but sure. that's a whole other uh, podcast episode. But, <laughs> Like Morgan Riley, too, perfect example, right? He's already come out publicly and said he's willing to take a discount on his next contract to remain a leaf. So, right. the players are obviously buying what Dubas is selling and they believe in that core, but I mean, when you're looking at who was on this team this year versus whose contracts are up, who might get, you know, traded just for even recouping some of their draft capital, because you guys have less than 50% of your draft picks over the next two years. So, like, how many of those players are going to get essentially run back and, hey, let's try it again, let's chalk it up to dumb luck versus... Who you think could be a casualty of, listen, we got to make some changes in this salary that you were getting paid, ain't going to cut it. So we are see you later. We're going to be showing you the door here. Like, does anyone stand out as a clear, definitely not bringing them back? You already mentioned Simmons, but like anyone else other than that?
2: It's funny because of the way the Leafs are built, it's all or nothing, right? You got guys making over 10 million or guys making pennies. So yeah, I, I think you're going to see, it's not a trade, but I don't think they're going to resign Freddie Anderson. I don't think they'll re-sign Zach Hyman. And that sucks. Like, the Leafs need guys like Zach Hyman. But in the Kyle Dubas world, you don't sign guys who play that style, who've been injured as much as he has, who are pushing 30, you know, to long-term deals. You just don't do it. And I do believe Zach Hyman would take less to stay in Toronto, but not as as much less as we would need him to. And if, you know, lots of people talk about Edmonton. Let's say Edmonton was going to offer him six times six and Toronto said the best we can do is like six times four. Mm -hmm. Why would he do that? Like he's got, he'll, so he'll be gone. And then you're going to lose one of either Kerfoot or Dermott in expansion draft. I don't know which one Vegas or Vegas, Seattle would be more (laughs) interested in. Yeah. That's Um, what Vegas needs
0: is a second expansion draft to go and cherry pick more players. Clean us all out again. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um So I don't think you're going to see a ton of trades because a lot of
2: the one guy I would talk about and you referenced was Morgan Riley being willing to take last. I've sort of been on the, on, on our show there talking for a while about whether that's the guy that you might have to trade that he Mm -hmm. might be. And, and I think you've, you know, with only one year left on his deal, you won't get as much as you would had you done this earlier, but I wonder if he isn't DeMar DeRozan, right? Mm-hmm. You have to trade a real fan favorite that that does his job well and that everybody likes and no one really wants to see go. But something's got to change and he's he's on a for what he is, like his contract is pretty friendly. Um, maybe you could trade that somewhere and get something you need more. And then, you know, it it does it does leave the left side of the D a little thin, but if you manage to keep Dermot. And you count on Rasmus Sandin to take over the power play, which they were already doing in the regular season this year. I'm not saying he's a top pair guy, but if he could run the power play like Riley did, you know, maybe that's a way that you you could free up some cap space. Could you find another defender a little bit younger, you know, and trade Riley to a team who's ready to take a run and, I think that might be the only guy. I think you're going to see a ton of turnover, and and you'll see salary freed up by not bringing back UFAs. But to me, in terms of big fish, guys who I see it being possible to be traded, Morgan Riley would be the one. And, you know, I've seen all the Mitch Marner talk. I'm open to the idea that you could trade a $10 million winger it's hard to win those trades right and what you get back you know uh, the travis connect me talk would be interesting i think he's making like eight million a year he gives you an element you don't have and it gives you a couple extra million dollars in cap space yeah maybe right like maybe that's the type of thing you would look at doing but i just can't see them them trading him. i don't think they've got the stones to do it yet and i'm not even suggesting they should i just
0: yeah no it's it's so true right like you got a 23 year old player here who for all intents and purposes is i i wouldn't call it a superstar but is probably on that summer second tier of yep you know very elite talents in the league that's right yeah. there'd be no shortage of suitors that would be knocking on the leaf store should he realistically become available but mm-hmm. like he said he took a ton of heat in him in particular for that yes. first round loss to the habs and You know, I also am of the mind that they would probably be, well, I would be shocked to see the Leafs actually pull a trigger on a Mitch Marner deal, but you hear yeah. all the rumors about, oh, well, dad's not happy with how things are <laughs> going. And, uh, and, you know, that hey, if there's one sport where parents weigh in more than a oh, proportionate yeah, amount, it's, it's the NHL, right? You go for the, sure
1: the, it the, is. Crosses and like the, the list
0: is long. And we all
2: knew Walter Kretzky, right? It was huge news when he passed away just because we all knew Walter, right? Yeah. Like uh, hockey parents are around.
0: They're yeah, good. absolutely. Wal- Walter for the right reasons, though. Yeah, but, certainly. Uh, <laughs> yes. No, you're right about that. But when you get to some of, uh, you know, Lindros's dad being his player agent as well, too, it uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that gets a little murky. But I, I mean, like, do you see any realistic scenario, though, of, you know, let's put Tavares aside here, just just of their three of Nylander, Marner and Matthews. Like, are you 100 percent confident that all three are donning a Maple Leaf sweater come puck drop in the fall?
2: One hundred percent is because uh, what I know is going to happen is you'll capture that sound clip and then invite me back on August twelfth or whatever the
0: seasons <laughs> or
2: October twelfth. One hundred percent. No, I. The thing is, I always thought, I always believed this, and it's easy to say now. But if people want, they can they can search back on my own show. I always thought the Neilander contract was fine. The way mm-hmm. they got to it sucked, but. And this year he lived up to it again. And in the playoffs where everybody said that's where he shied away. I think it's hard despite the fact that, you know, your uncle's Twitter wants to trade Willie because he's too pretty or whatever the deal is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the guy that Morley fans would be willing to trade. But I think that's the foolish one. I think that's good value on that contract. But I think mm-hmm. Mitch is making at least a million and maybe two million too much for a, certainly a winger and a winger who's a setup guy instead of a scorer, right? Like you pay for goals and you pay for centers. I I I don't know that that contract for Mitch is is ever going to look great certainly now that the cap's not growing uh going up like we expected it would. He would be the, and and I don't think there's any chance you're trading Austin Matthews, right? Like he's a lightning rod guy, people love to hate him or whatever, but he is if not one, then number two, in terms of goal scorers in the league right now, good in his own end, getting better, getting more physical, getting stronger, good on face-offs. You know, I don't think
0: Justin Bieber. So you got to keep the young girls demographic, right? (laughs) Like, yeah, Yeah, you got to keep that
2: guy around. (laughs) Um, So I think he, I would be stunned and unless Colorado or Edmonton is calling with mckinnon or mcdavid i'm not interested in trading matthews right that mitch would be the only guy and i just i just don't see it i don't see how you win that trade and um you know even pr what like he his pr took he was the little guy we all loved he was singing on the bench he was a toronto kid and then he goes through that contract war and his his rep took just a beating and I think that's one of those things where you can blame his dad you can blame his agent you can blame whoever you want but they misplayed their hand there in terms of valuing that beloved factor in Toronto right he's a different type of player but could he have been Doug here could he have been Wendell Clark and now there's a bunch of people that just remember you greedy little whatever yeah. right so he would be the only guy I would consider trading based on contracts and, and stuff like that I just don't think you win that trade. So I do expect all three of those guys will be back. Capture it, save it. Call me right. in Octo- or October if it doesn't happen.
0: Yeah. yeah. Right click, save as there. We exactly, go. There we go. man. Uh, I mean, Matt screws up again. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, you will not be the first person to have a hot take backfire on them there. <laughs> Certainly not. One person you did mention, though, is Frederick Anderson. Obviously, mm-hmm. UFA. I, I don't see them bringing him back, especially coming off all the injuries and all of that. And what price tag he might command on the open market. Who knows? Campbell's got one year left. Rittich is a UFA. So a million dollar question is (laughs) what are the Leafs doing for goaltending next year? Like, what have you heard that they might be trotting out there?
2: You know, I, I don't have a name for you, but I think they'll be looking in the the bargain bin, right? Mm -hmm. Bernier, Reimer coming back that'd be fun you brought up 2013 <laughs> earlier let's do that yeah. again I think that's the sort of guy you're going to be looking at everyone keeps talking about Dreger down in Florida yeah and in principle I don't have a problem with that you could you could bring him up here but there's always that one guy and you'll remember this maybe two years ago when Nick Jensen was still playing in Detroit and all of a sudden all of us who had barely ever heard of Nick Jensen before were like That's the guy my team should go get. Like, because it becomes this thing, right? It's trendy to suddenly notice a guy. And I think that's kind of going to be the thing here with Dreger, who was very good this year in Florida. I don't have a problem with them bringing him, but I do think all of a sudden everyone's going to be looking at Chris Dreger. And maybe he's a guy who should have made whatever. I don't know, goaltending. Gold voodoo. 1.8, 2.5, something like that. And someone's going to give him three. And I think that will be an overpay and you don't want to be that team. Right. I think sometimes when you're looking through the bargain bin, you don't want to be stuck tugging on the same thing that everybody suddenly found. Yeah. So I'm not sure what they'll do. I'm concerned. Honestly, I thought Jack Campbell was very good through this, the, the regular season. And I thought he was fine in the playoffs. I, there's, he did not hurt Toronto at all. Goaltending was not the issue, but is he suddenly ready to play? 55 games and at 30 years old or whatever he is he's suddenly a number one start I think he deserves a shot but you got to find somebody else of a similar ilk to bring in and battle with him for that job I don't think you just anoint him number one so is it hudobin is it Bernier is it yeah you know, I think that's sort of the class you're looking at because they just don't have the money to go and give to someone who's gonna make seven eight nine ten million dollars like the two goalies in the the cup finals this year
0: yeah no and you know uh, of course Kyle Dubas former senator you can never rule out good old Dreiger from Florida there so sure hey there you go might be kicking the tires but uh, I'm kind of of the same mindset of you where it probably will be not a bona fide elite level goaltender it'll be uh, a Dreiger a a Grubauer a a Mrazic or something like that that they'll probably kick the tires on do you see any scenario where they might try and right an ancient wrong and try and bring in good old Tuca Rask and uh, you oh know, my put God. a band-aid on, on that from all those years ago? Because all the rumors are he, he's done in Boston. Might be done playing hockey altogether, yeah. but you never know. I thought
2: you promised me a little while ago you weren't going to twist the knife <laughs> anymore on the Toronto Boston. <laughs> I, I
0: can't <laughs> help myself. I can't help myself okay. sometimes. It's born <laughs> into my DNA I think. But...
2: That would be fascinating. That's two or three management groups ago that traded him away, so Kyle certainly doesn't have to wear that, but you do open yourself up to some fascinating criticisms or comments. If you bring them back, uh, everything I've read, as as you said, said that he's he might be done in Boston, and if that's the case, he'd probably just be done. Look, the as long as we're not bringing back Raycroft, who we got for him, I'm probably <laughs> fine with whatever they do. Right? So. Yeah.
0: Another interesting name, though, which again people are speculating probably is done, but who knows? Maybe one final kick at the can. Uh, the bearded one. Joe Thornton number one though do you see him coming back to play for anyone and number two do you really as a Toronto fan want to see him back for another year or are you done with the Joe Thornton experience
1: yeah
2: I'm done I saw enough it was a worthwhile gamble at League Min it was worth a shot I got no problem at all with the fact that they gave it a go and early on it looked okay now I thought from the beginning putting him up on the top line was a little ambitious for 41 year old Thornton or whatever he is. And, and really I thought it didn't work because it was too much pass, right? Like mm-hmm. I get it when he and Marner are on the flanks with Matthews. Yeah. You want a couple of good passers, but the problem was Joe Thornton was by far the slowest guy on that line. So Matthews and Marner would get in and dig it out. And all of a sudden you've got Matthews dishing to Thornton. Who's the last to show up. And you're like, this is not how this is supposed to work, <laughs> right? Um, and as he fell down the lineup a little bit towards, you know, maybe maybe March or April, and he was playing fourth line with Spez and, and Adam Brooks for a little while, and it looked okay. But at some point I put on Twitter that I thought he was done, and he all of a sudden went to point a game again for the next 10 or 11 games. I'm like, ah, I'm just going to shut up about Joe Thornton. Like, I don't know what's happening here. But he looks spent in the playoffs, right? He just, he couldn't keep up. I could see him playing again in San Jose, but that would probably be it. I, even at 700 grand, the Leafs, like I said, it was a worthwhile risk, but I wouldn't bring him back for that. Again, you're going to have to find other guys, hopefully slightly younger, slightly more fast on their feet, little better skaters. And, you know, at 700 grand at league men with the Leafs, uh, the Leafs are going to be digging around. You're not going to find any all-stars, but you need somebody who can skate just a little bit better and somebody who can kill penalties maybe, or, you know, somebody you trust just a little bit more. I thought it was cool to see him as a Leaf. I thought it was fun to try at that league minimum like that. I just don't think there's any reason to, to do it again.
0: Yeah. No, Joe. that no, sucks but... to say
2: too, honestly, yeah. like it's, I, I don't love it. I just it you can't do it again I don't think
0: I mean at this stage of his career Joe Thornton is he's kind of like the rolling stones where just every time he does his uh, final season you think okay there's no way they're coming back right to another tour here and then lo and behold there he is but uh, yeah I, I could see a reunion in San Jose happening I don't see any real cup contenders seeing oh. what he did in Toronto and say yeah we got to get me some of that ASAP here oh, exactly. so, you know so <laughs> I, I think he's probably even got to admit that uh, as nice as it would be to see joe thornton finally win a stanley cup i think it would be like that modern era ray bork moment there Mm. but i just don't see it happening so if it is going to be someone it's probably going to be that farewell tour you know kind of uh playing
2: a line with Marlowe back again in san jose
0: (laughs) exactly you can get your roses and flowers from everyone every stadium but i mean (laughs) like If we put salary cap aside for a moment though here, just the names that you hear that are on sort of that trade block and could be on the move this summer and all of that, like, Who is someone that you think Toronto actually has the pieces to go out and get realistically? Because, I mean, if you look at every fan base's Twitter is just rotten with horrible trade scenarios of, hey, Logan Brown in a first will bring over Matthew Kachuk, right? Like, these things aren't happening. So, like, realistically, with the pieces you have and the names that are out there or even a free agent, who's someone you think the Leafs will really be targeting this offseason that will make that impact next year?
2: But Nazem Kadri.
0: Speaking of reunion tours, oh, <laughs> there you go. Um,
2: I, I just, they obviously traded him away because they don't trust him. But that would be an interesting piece who brings some elements that maybe they're missing. The other guy, and you mentioned him, could you work something? Could you do something in the neighborhood of Marner for Matthew Kachuk? And that would, you know, Matthew Kachuk and, and Austin Matthews are pretty tight by all accounts. And that would give you a slightly different element Maybe then you reunite Willie with uh, with Matthews on the top line. Matthew Kachuk plays second line with Tavares, who can kind of get in and, and dig it out for him and things like that. Kachuk didn't have a great season, so it would be a bit of a risk, but I think that would be interesting. I think there's got to be more to that deal, right? There, there's other pieces on the side, and I don't know what that all looks like. But that would be a guy that I would be interested in at least looking at. I got to tell you... I. I want to stay away from Seth Jones. I don't really like the way he's trending. I know a lot of Leaf fans are screaming that that would be, you know, kind of a, a quick fix or, you know, might fit in perfectly with the Leafs. Honestly, Toronto's defense, maybe th- this year might've been as good as it's been in like 17 years. Mm-hmm. And we're just so used to blaming defense that some people are still doing. It wasn't really the problem this year. So i wouldn't do that i just don't like the way jones is trending in terms of other guys out there like honestly i i haven't taken like a, a real look at uh the free agent list this year just because i know toronto has no money to sign anybody so I haven't spent much time
0: <laughs> perusing yeah, it not a worthwhile <laughs> usage of your time there <laughs> exactly Enough money More, you not coming here yeah.
2: right oh yeah. well, i've lived my whole life thinking about things i do with money i don't have so oh yeah Uh,
0: it'd be the equivalent of me looking at uh properties in the hamptons right now
2: (laughs) sure exactly man that's a great idea but i don't
0: know where we're getting the money from
2: yeah we're gonna have the Dine Sports, Muskoka Compound, right? And like, no, we're probably not, right? Yeah, there you
0: go. <laughs> I'll, I'll buy a place right next to Kessler there, and then we'll have our own reality show there. There you of- go. Okay, you-
2: see yeah. that'd be fun, right? Yeah. I, I don't see a lot, you know. I, I, I don't even when we talked earlier about trading Morgan Riley. I don't, I don't even know what that's for, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, it's a thought. It's a way to open up some space and allow a couple of your lefty guys to move up. But I don't know what's out there that makes it worthwhile for you. So. I, you know, Matthew Goodshock, like I said, would be interesting. And of course, the ultra galaxy brain that will never happen is is Jack Eichel, right? Yeah. Could Kyle find a way to make that happen? Then you move Tavares over to the wing, where maybe his foot speed as he starts to get a little bit older isn't quite as big of a factor. Again, that's probably a Marner move. Why would Buffalo trade a passing winger for a number one center? I can't imagine they would. But those are the the types of things you're hearing kind of kicked around is is the really big fish stuff that if we can't sign a free agent because we don't have the cap space what's the biggest possible splash you could make in a trade and since everyone's still mad at mitch (laughs) that's that's the name
0: yeah, absolutely. And it wouldn't be the first time that, uh, you know, the Toronto sports scene has taken a uh, huge swing and traded away you know, <laughs> even a fan favorite or something like that. Hey, I mean, Masai's sharing office spaces with some of the boys. Yeah, so, you're right about that. Some secrets or uh, who knows? Yeah.
2: Let's just yeah. get him signed first. Like, let's get Masai back in the picture and <laughs> yeah. we'll... We'll, we'll give him the bigger office. We'll give him the corner office, whatever we need. Let's get Masai back locked in. But uh...
0: We talked about it earlier, and draft pick-wise, I think you guys only have, like, six of your 14 over the next yep. two years. No first-rounder this year. So a lot of it is going to have to be fixed via either those league minimum signings, whether it's a trade, whether it's, you know, some financial maneuvering or or something, uh, you know, Tampa Bay managed to somehow get an extra Extra room. (laughs) Extra room
2: is opened up on Robodah Island. (laughs) Yeah, uh,
0: absolutely. So apparently the salary cap's just a suggestion. If you
2: you could try to keep it around this neighborhood, we'd like it, but, do what you want,
0: yeah. Well, me- meanwhile, Melnick is hoping that the salary floor is just a <laughs> suggestion and he doesn't need to get to that. But, <laughs> anyways, so like as far as Dubas, you already mentioned this is probably a do or die sort of season for him, where if it's you know, miss the playoffs or just another first round exit is his job in question probably what about Brendan Shanahan and some of those upper levels of Leafs management though like how much longer do you think they have as far as how much leash they get or do you think they're in the same boat as Kyle as far as hey we, we got to start seeing some results or otherwise it could be a uh, red wedding style house cleaning going on here.
2: <laughs> I do I think I think Brendan and Kyle are linked at the hip right I, I think that's how that goes i I was look this has gone far better despite multiple first round exits um this, the the shanahan the shanna plan thing it's gone better than I expected on our show when Shanahan was hired I can remember saying like what's everybody so excited about like this was a guy who had run this player safety department there at the league and done some things like that he'd never run a team before ever and Uh, Tim Laiwiki was still president of MLSE and you know he'd kind of spoken to the league office and they recommended him and I didn't have a problem with bringing in Shanahan to see how it goes but there was no guarantee there at all right like we had no idea whether he could do this or not and then he starts signing at the time like 28 year old Kyle Dubas to come in and look at things and and he does eventually bring in Lou which for the time that Lamorello was here to help tear it down I thought that went very well right like Lou was ruthless and kept sending our stuff down the highway to the senators which really helped us uh open things up a bit but then he started signing guys and he does the Patrick Marlowe thing and Jason Spezza will start next year on a one-year 700,000 750,000 dollar contract at the same age that Patrick Marlowe was starting his three-year 6.5 million dollar contract with the Leafs and that was a mistake right and he hung on just a little too long To Lou, I think now he's fully invested in Kyle. He stopped Kyle from going to Colorado when he did give Lou one more year. I think as long as Shanahan is still in the picture, Kyle is safe. I believe he believes in in Kyle's vision. The problem, as you suggested, comes from above, right? The MLSE board who knows how many millions and millions and millions there are to be made with home dates at the uh, whatever, Scotiabank Arena or whatever we're calling it today. I think they might step in after another year. I don't think Kyle is fired by Brendan at the end of next season if we have another first-round exit. I believe the board punts them both if there's another first-round exit. I I just, there's too much money on the line. And honestly, it won't be unfair. Like, they've given them some time to do this. And like I said, they've cleaned up a lot of lose mess. Last year, even, I was tempted to kind of give everybody an out, right? The team wasn't playing well through most of the season, but when we started that bubble in early August um, in Toronto and Edmonton, I was pretty upfront saying anyone who wins this, that's legit. Like it's fair. Everyone's been through the same thing, but I don't know how to judge empty arena, isolated quarantined bubble hockey for two months, right? Like, I don't know what all of this means. And Toronto got punted and and the Leafs management team has to wear some of that but I didn't really dump on them. I was just sort of like, I don't know, five games against Columbus. I, I guess it matters, but, but this year was entirely them, right? They they had the team they want. They signed the guys they wanted. They had the season they wanted, the regular season land, how it was supposed to go in terms of their design. And then they lost again in the first round. So if that happens again next year and MLS's board says, that's enough. We've seen enough. I don't know that they'd be totally wrong to do it, but I do think as long as they keep Shanahan, Shanahan's going to keep Kyle.
0: Well, like you said, it was tough to figure out last year what was going on with all the empty barns and all of that. Yes. But, uh, meanwhile, this year, congratulations to the province of Quebec because apparently they've, they've cured COVID by That's cool. of making all of the Stanley Cup Finals. Because you look outside and they've got like twenty thousand people in the streets without masks. There's more
2: people in the streets than in the building.
0: Yeah. It's nuts, man. Yeah, it's, it's wild. So, who, good for you guys. Your... Good for Quebec. COVID-free. Yeah, the cure for COVID was Montreal Canadiens success. So congratulations to the province. Oh
2: God, I'd rather get COVID.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. See, I told you it wasn't going to be that bad. There, we got. We got- uh,
2: I wasn't
0: at the beginning. There, we talked bright and sunny futures. I'm looking forward to at least getting back to the CTC so I can roundly boo the Leafs when they take the ice against the Senators. But for all, all of our listeners who do want to check out your show, like where can people find you? Where can people tune in to Tall can Audio?
2: Anywhere you're hearing this right now on uh, your podcast apps, you'll find us. You search for Tall can Audio. All the archives, all the episodes um, from the past are at tallcanaudio.com. And we keep it simple on social media as well, at Talcan Audio. And And the concept of the show is real simple. We like to uh, crack open a uh, a local pint and uh, talk a little bit about what we're drinking, and then you know just kick around the uh, the sports issues of the day. I, I don't know how I ended up lucky enough to to be here. I've seen your past guest list. I've seen some of the guys who've been on this show. So like I said, I'm sorry to whoever had to cancel to open up a spot for me, but uh, I was happy to do, uh, happy to be here, happy to be on. And like I said, you can find us anywhere you're listening right now: social media, podcast apps, search Talk and Audio. We'll be there.
0: Beauty. Well, Matt, you're selling yourself short there. I mean, you guys are what 800 or some odd episodes in here. You got to be doing something right that they haven't booted you off the air yet. So
2: it can't make us leave. We we ref- it's like last call, and we're just like, no, one more, one more.
0: Yeah, yeah. The Wolf of Wall Street scene there. I'm not fucking leaving.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's us, man. That's the talk in Audio Podcast.
0: That's a wrap for another episode of the Dine Sports Podcast on the Dine Sports Podcast Network. As always, a huge thank you goes out to both of our guests today, John from Sports Illustrated and Matt from Talcan Audio. Be sure to check out John's new book, Glory Days, available everywhere now. And check out Matt's podcast over at Talcan Audio, available anywhere podcasts are found special shout out goes to our sponsors over at MyBookie. if you haven't already go and check out their amazing first deposit bonuses make sure you use the promo code DineSports sports so they know who sent you until next time folks have a happy canada day enjoy your july 4th weekend and we'll see you in a little bit